Welcome to the Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner Show with your hosts, Jesse McCullough and Nick Dorch. We will talk quality of healthcare and explore what that actually means. Let's dig into performance measurements, the equip platform, and maybe de-stress and divert from the pharmacy conversation with occasional talk about nerdy passions and hobbies. Without further ado, here's Jesse and Nick. Hello, everyone, and welcome and thank you for joining us today on the Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner Show. I'm your host, Jesse McCullough, and as always, I'm joined uh, by my co-host, Nick Dorich. Nick, how are you doing today? Hey, Jess. Happy to be here once again and to talk a little bit about quality. Uh, as we're approaching the end of the year, I'm hoping that I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm, I, I put some quality thought into presents and gifts for others with the holiday season, and hopefully this podcast episode will be a, a special gift for all of our listeners as well. Well, I, I tell you, I think that's a, a really good way to look at it. Some of us are really not uh, blessed in that, uh, in, in, in selecting quality gifts. Uh, my wife tells me uh, more often than not, how about you just step away and I'll, I'll, I'll take care of this. But uh, uh, anyway, but I, I think it's really interesting that you point that out, Nick, because um, you know, to, to the listeners, uh, we're recording this podcast near the end of the year. And whenever we sit down and we, we start, uh, you know, sort of brainstorming what these podcasts are going to look like, uh, we, we have sort of a two-prong approach to it. On, on one hand, we have this strong desire to make these podcasts be very timely, that what we're presenting to you when it's released, it should be rather timely. But on the other hand, we want to make sure we deliver value to you. If you listen to this podcast somewhere in the future, that when you hear this podcast, it will have practical application to you then. We really want this content to be more evergreen. So uh, there probably will be some rare occasions where we call out the day and time whenever we, we record this, and it may be very, very important on that day and time. Uh, but in a situation like this, we, we were trying to sort of hit two bullseyes at once. Uh, with that, you know, as we wind down the calendar year, um, I, I, we, we, as we were discussing this, we thought it would be a good idea to just look at some of the measures that are out there where the outliers, those patients who are negatively impacting your score, where they are still in play and that there's something that you can do about those, even if there is limited time left in the calendar. So, Nick, uh, what, what are your thoughts on that, sir? Yeah, I'm thinking this is a good opportunity for us to address and talk about some of the therapy or gaps in therapy or guideline-based measures, um, measures where uh, by comparison adherence, we're looking over a period of time and we're looking at patients having a consistency of fills. But when we're talking about th uh, guidelines or, or therapy uh, being met, a lot of these measures can be met by a single event, a single prescription being filled. So this is something where um, I, I think, Jess, we should we should take this as a topic and, and how pharmacists can have an impact on that. That sounds like a great idea, Nick. So when you start talking about these therapy guidelines, what would be some examples of those uh, that, we, we, that we would be talking about? Yeah, so there's two in particular that come to mind right here, right now in late 2019. And those would be measures like statin use in persons with diabetes or um, statins in persons with cardiovascular disease. Those would be ex good examples. Um, even actually immunization-based measures like uh, the, the flu season, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago on one of the podcasts, where that's something where a patient, how do they meet the measure? Well, they receive a flu vaccine. The statin use in persons with diabetes 
um, although not as seasonally uh, <laughs> seasonally applicable, um, it really does fit the same type of mold where does a patient, if they're a patient with diabetes, do they fill a statin? The answer is either a yes or a no for the measure evaluation and how do we get that measure performance to improve? We get that patient on a statin type of therapy. So Nick, can you take just a, a, a moment or two and maybe give some background uh, or, or, or some history, some type of perspective on the rationale and the history, and, and I'm sorry, the, the, the rationale or perhaps even the philosophy um, behind some of these uh, treatment, uh, behind some of these treatment measures? Yeah, Jess, so this is thinking about these measures, and from my perspective, I, I, I kind of like these measures. Um, that may not be the right way to feel, feel about it. Um, but when I think about pharmacy school and when I think about how I was taught to manage a patient, um, it came down to what are the right medications that are going to be the most effective to manage a patient, their disease state, um, and the particulars that, that go into it for them. And just from a general standpoint, um, for, for patient care, uh, that's where guidelines or, or, guidelines for therapy and guidelines for disease management, where they came from. And with that as the background, I, I think that really is the driving force here to say that, you know, this is an item where we do have information, we, we do practice evidence-based medicine, right? Um, where we want to make sure that we are utilizing the best medications that are going to be most effective for the patients. And that's where we want to have that type of guidance. Now, I will say that while guidelines are important and while guidelines for therapy are important, um, that it's also important that we as clinicians treat the individual patient. Um, it's not appropriate uh, from a guideline perspective where every patient is going to be treated in that, that, that same way. So we always, while it's important for us to strive for those guideline-based measures, we also need to be treating the patient specifically. So thanks, Nick. But one of the things that I wanted to just note, and maybe you can give some uh, additional insights or color to this idea. Um, when it comes to guidelines, it's my understanding that guidelines are written, but they are not always rapidly adopted. So you and I are uh, probably at least uh, a half generation, if not more, uh, separated in, in, in our pharmacy training. Uh, but, um, you know, when, when, when I was in school, one of the big things that they were talking about was, can we get a person on a beta blocker after, after a heart attack, right? And, right. and um, you know, they were, they were looking at some things like that, and it was taking a long time for it to happen. And I've actually heard, uh, and I don't know if this is a true statistic, so I, I, I'll put a asterisk on the end of this, but I've heard it in, in general, it takes upwards of 18 to 20 years for a guideline to become fully adopted and integrated into the healthcare system. That may or may not be accurate, but with some of these, so when you start looking at statins in persons with diabetes, that was a, that was a guideline change that I believe came into effect right around 2010. Does that, does that sound right? I think it was a little later than that, but yeah, that's, it's the, yeah, you're, you're right on, right around, the, right on for, for that uh, timeline. So, so with that, the, the intent is, is that by measuring this, we may also see that the guidelines are adopted. And if the guidelines are, you know, with that evidence-based medicine, as you mentioned, uh, if we're promoting the optimal treatment uh, of, of any condition, right, whether it's cardiovascular disease, whether it's diabetes, whatever it turns out to be, if we can do things to help optimize and fast track the optimal treatment and using some of these measures, uh, perhaps that does have value. Yeah, it absolutely ties into that. And even as we're here discussing it, 
um, what, we, what we're talking about is we're talking about process for improvement. And with that, guidelines are really used as a, as a tool so that we've got more clinicians, more patient, you know, more, more caregivers, more that involve, more people that are involved so that we can lend ourselves to better health outcomes for the, for the patients. Um, you know, if statins are an appropriate therapy for patients with diabetes um, to help them improve their disease state and complications that they may have, um, it, we're not going to improve patients that are uh, of, of that nature that are that are t- taking a statin if we're not talking about it and if we're not engaging with others about it, right? So I, I think just the very basis of guidelines existing um, and, and being set are are somewhat towards that quality improvement process. And that's why I would, I would add, it's why you see it where this isn't something that's just applicable to pharmacists, right? And that's right. something we haven't really talked about. But, you know, quality measures, they're, they, they're, they're used across the healthcare spectrum. So um, pharmacists are looking at this. There's going to be, um, you know, primary care physicians that are uh, going to be tasked with improving these endocrinologists specifically for their patients that they're managing with. Um, with diabetes. So there's a lot of different people. It's not a one-man show. We may think of it from a pharmacy's perspective, but yes, that there, there can be direct impact for us or direct implications, but there are other clinicians that are absolutely working and are uh, addressing their patients to, uh, be, to be more in accordance with clinical guidelines. And it, and it absolutely gives the, the, the pharmacy team uh, a way where they're able to collaborate because I would suggest that in a lot of cases, um, you're going to have prescribers be evaluated on the same or very similar measures uh, for, you know, around these guidelines. Yeah, they certainly can be. Uh, it's always going to be different in, in terms of understanding for clinicians or others. Do they really know what measures they're being evaluated on or um, are they working on specific efforts? So that may be different um, from provider to provider, uh, but it is an item where I'm sure that if if pharmacists, if they're going, if talking with local uh, health clinics, local endocrinologists, if they're speaking with other providers, there's going to be a lot of folks that do have an understanding and they're all going to have their own process, right, on evaluating where and how they may evaluate a patient um, that they would initiate on the statin therapy. So I think that's an important item as well. Um, when, when it comes to these items, Jess, I think you've probably done more MTM cases than, than, than I have in, in my, my career. Uh, but one thing we hear from a lot of pharmacists with MTM or other programs is that they may provide a recommendation. The physician isn't necessarily going to accept it. And, and that's an important distinction because a physician, they, while they may get a recommendation from a pharmacist, there's probably a few follow-ups that they're going to want to do labs. They're probably going to want to see and discuss the patient themselves. So while that uh, recommendation may not be accepted or, or not, that's probably not the full story. And there's probably other steps that go into that decision-making process. Yeah, I, I could comment. I remember back in 2006, and as, as I say that, that makes me sound like super old. I feel really old <laughs> when, when I say something like that. But I remember that first year when we were training, uh, we were training pharmacists to do this. There were a lot of pharmacists that would go out there and they, they would work, work up the patient on, a, on an MTM case uh, and make the recommendation to a physician. And they would oftentimes become very discouraged because that recommendation was not acted upon 
immediately. And I think you make an excellent point there. Uh, you, you know, I, I don't know how common it would be for, uh, uh, for a prescriber to just get the heads up that, hey, here's a patient that perhaps needs a statin and they're just going to prescribe it out of the blue. Uh, I, I think you make an excellent point, you know, for this measure and then just, you know, the continuity of care in general, in some of those instances, you know, the, the, the patient's going to be coming in for an examination. It's not that the, it's not that the recommendation is uh, disregarded, but perhaps it's, it's filed appropriately for whenever the patient has their next follow-up visit, that that can be one of those topics of discussion. Yeah. So I do want to uh, kind of keep the ball rolling on, on that particular point because and when we initially thought of this topic for discussion, it was, well, what can pharmacists do as we approach the end of the year where they can still have an impact for their measures? And the gaps in care is one where um, it can be very easy to say, hey, we just need that one fill. Let's get that one fill. So to this point, if, we, if we're talking about getting a patient started on a uh, therapy that aligns with, aligns with the guideline, we can look at this and say, hey, you know, pharmacist Joe, on December 23rd, they're looking through and they want to do follow-up with prescribers because they think they can get that patient started on a stand before the end of the year. That's probably not a realistic expectation that's there where, yes, the pharmacist Joe can have that intervention or call the prescriber or have that conversation with the patient. But in order to get there, um, that, that physician is going to want to fit in with their appropriate processes. That's probably a conversation that needs to happen a few months beforehand. And so the timing of it there becomes very important for consideration. Um, and, and, and ultimately, with whether it's it's this, whether it's adherence or any of the items, the timing, yes, you can make a change and um, there isn't a, a day that isn't going to matter for these performance scores. If we're at December 30th, that's still something where, you know, that patient and taking a day or two of medication can absolutely have an impact in their life. So we shouldn't be hitting a period where we stop or we're not evaluating um, how we're interacting or reviewing with patients to improve their care. Um, should be something that we're doing continuously. But there's also part there that um, healthcare by its nature, it's going to be complex. We want to make sure that we're starting patients on the right therapy and that, uh, and that we're taking in all considerations before we initiate a new therapy for them. And then once that therapy is initiated, these measures, especially these statin measures, really dovetail quite nicely. Uh, into the adherence measures, right? And, and we may see other measures like that in, in the marketplace down the road, uh, but uh, you, you have this part, this measure, which helps us get the initiation, uh, but then you have other measures that would, that would pick up from there and monitor the continuation of, of that therapy. Yeah, there's a, there's a point to it to say, hey, it's important to start the right medication. That's, that's the first part. Uh, but then the second part is once they do start that medication, are you then potentially starting the clock on that patient being considered for adherence? And that's something that uh, some folks are particularly worrisome about where, hey, yeah, if I start a patient on a statin therapy, that may be well and good. But if that patient becomes not adherent to their statin over time, that's more work. That's more that I need to kind of track and follow up. I think it's an important consideration that it needs to be continuous. And, uh, and, you know, it's one of the items that we actually looked into with the trend report. And, uh, you know, in previous episode, we had Peter, Peter Masters from our team talking about that. And that was something that he really dug into, typically finding that when a patient is starting a new therapy, at least in the case of statins and statin use of persons with diabetes, that that's, those patients tend to be more adherent or at least more adherent initially, which is generally a, a good sign. Um, it's showing that there is some continuous follow-up and evaluation there that goes on. So, 
Um, I think that's a particularly important point. And, um, you know, Jess, I, we, we, as we were preparing for this and thinking about this, uh, this episode, we talked a little bit about other measures because these guideline measures, there's a couple that we pay attention to now, but I think it's something where going forward, we should see more measures of this nature uh, that are introduced into the market. I would agree. I think you're going to see more and more of these measures. Uh, I, I I don't know that I think we'll get away from the adherence measures, at least in any time soon. Uh, but I think as you look at how those things can sort of work hand in glove, there's a number of uh, uh, tremendous uh, synergies that, that, that could build from that. Now, I don't want to let this opportunity pass. You mentioned the trend report and, um, you know, for, for the listeners, listeners, if you haven't listened uh, to that uh, uh, conversation that we had with Peter, um, please go check the archives. You'll be able to find that uh, find that episode, a lot of fascinating work that he's doing. Uh, and we have that work available for you. Uh, if you, you can find and access the trend report, if you head over to pharmacyquality.com, uh, you'll be able to go in there, click the banner for the, uh, for the trend report and, you know, just look at some of those questions. And, uh, you know, those are some of the things that we look at. And I think there are uh, uh, some really neat learnings that, at least for me, we're not intuitive. Uh, I, I would say some of those things that I, I sort of expected to see the data is not supporting. So, um, and some of the things that I didn't expect to see the data does support. So, uh, you know, I think that those are good things to help give a, perhaps a little boost of confidence in some of those, uh, some of those areas. Nick, what else do we need to know about these treatment measures? Uh, I think really the biggest item is we're going to continue to see them. Um, and even just looking ahead the next couple of years, there's some measures uh, from NCQA. There's some measures from Medicare Part C plans that we're going to see some growth or expansion for these types of measures. So I would say that as those start to become more uh, available, uh, it's important to have a, have a sense of what they are. Um, I think guideline or therapy measures are a little bit easier to understand than trying to calculate an 80% score for a PDC on an adherence measure. So that might make it more likable. Um, just to kind of give as an example, uh, to me as a pharmacist, I expect that if I've got a question on asthma therapy, what's considered overutilization of a rescue inhaler, I would expect that um, every pharmacist I talk to could give me a sense on how that's identified and how they would respond to that for a treatment recommendation. So that's you know a different example for a measure that actually does exist um, around overutilization for, for rescue inhalers, something that I think that we'd be seeing in the not so distant future. Um, again, understanding guidelines and some of those parts, they're not gonna be 100% of patients that strictly adhere to those, but in terms of how a pharmacist operates with those and how they help patients improve their care, I think that's more straightforward for a pharmacist to have a role and opportunity. Yeah, I think you're exactly right with that. So, Nick, uh, and I also, I guess we should also say we can't tease that and not talk about that, but uh, we'll have to put that on the list for something to talk about asthma uh, at, at some time down the road, because uh, that, that's, that's another fascinating topic and a lot of impact that pharmacists can have there. But uh, I think it's time uh, that uh, we probably bring this in for a landing. We've had a good conversation today. Uh, and I want to take just uh, a, another moment uh, to speak to you, the listener. I want to say thank you. Uh, we very much appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Uh, but I want to ask a couple of favors of you. Uh, the first favor I'm going to ask you to do is to share 
this podcast with at least two friends. Uh, and hopefully you'll share it with two friends and they'll share it with two friends. And that's really going to help us get the word out with what we're doing there. Uh, I also want to encourage you, uh, if, when you found this podcast, especially if you like the podcast, we ask that you give us a, a subscribe. Um, that, uh, that way, we our intent is to come at you about once a week, uh, and then that way we can get you this information on a very regular basis. Um, we also want to hear from you. If you have questions that you think would be interesting to hear a little bit more from, uh, get a little more insight on, uh, please submit those to us. You can send us an email at info at pharmacyquality.com. Again, that's info at pharmacyquality.com. Nick and I uh, come together here so that we can share our perspectives and our insights on what's happening in the performance measurement space. We want to help you become as effective as possible in how you care for your patients. So until next time, we wish you well.